I Speak the System, Chapter 27, Rumors. We used to go to the smoke shop during lunch because most of my friends at school smoked and they they sold to us all the time without carding. They had a huge magazine collection that I always looked through. Rock magazines, skater magazines, graffiti and art magazines, hemp magazines, porn. We went and looked at it all. The store always smelled like a comforting, fresh pipe tobacco. They sold pipes, cigars, even Cubans, I think, tobacco, paper, rolling machines, and every kind of cigarette you could imagine. In the back was a cramped vintage toy store where I usually spent most of my time in there, fascinated by all the random shit they had, which included the game of Cosmic Wimp Out and the only place I'd ever seen it. I wasn't a real smoker like most of the kids at school who had serious smoking habits. I only smoked a few times a year because I didn't like the taste or smell of most cigarettes. The only time I loved a tobacco product was at Lollapalooza when I smoked that beady I paid way too much for. I thought they might have them at the smoke shop, but I couldn't remember what they were called. I described them as little brown cigarettes, and the guy at the store offered me a box of Nat Sherman's. I knew right away that they weren't what I was looking for, but I bought them anyway. They were nice, though, a fancy brand. When I got home that day, I took a walk to smoke one. Just thinking about it makes me crave one so badly. I haven't smoked a Nat Sherman cigarette since high school, and I'd love to have one right now, except that years later, I did eventually develop a serious nicotine addiction, and it's been a little over two years since I quit that, so it's probably best I don't smoke a Nat Sherman now as good as it sounds. When I got to the mostly empty elementary school playground at sunset on a cold, windy day to smoke, there was a kid there I knew from my grade. Him and Mona went out for a while in middle school. I walked towards him, and he was sitting on the swing. He must have been high, because when he saw me, he said he was never going to smoke weed again, since he was seeing dead people. It appeared he was told I died. There were a number of rumors going around town about going around town about me. There were probably even more than I heard about. But another time, when I was at Friendly's with Pesh, there was a girl I knew there, and she asked me, "What are you doing here?" As if she was shocked. "Just getting ice cream for my family," I answered. "No, I mean, what are you doing in this town or even this country? I heard you were kicked out of the country." I asked, confused. Yeah, I heard that from a few people, she said, like she meant it. She was in my honors English class with Mr. Owl. I don't know the extent of what she heard to make her believe it was true. Another rumor I heard was from a kid at public school when I made an appearance there for the first time after I stopped by. He asked me how my baby was. He heard I had a kid. It wasn't such a big stretch for my reputation, Plus, I often had Mark and Kenny around out with me in public because I did errands with my aunts and helped with the t- with the babies. I only went back to the high school for a few events. Technically, I was supposed to be allowed to take part in any and all clubs, sports, dances, proms, or whatever the public school offered. CCS was too small to have sports or even most of the clubs that public school had, but I never went to much of it. There were a few things I still enjoyed in my town, though. Every year of high school, even after I was at CCS, I attended the music and literary coffee houses, and I went to most of the school plays. Dove liked going to the holiday jazz band concert with me every year, and I enjoyed that, too. 
I'd always go to the coffee houses with my friends. By junior year, most of my friends were from CCS. Pesh Soren and I brought my sister Liz and her boyfriend Greg to the music coffee house. She was in eighth grade and her boyfriend was in seventh, but he was a cool kid who I grew a friendship with immediately, and I was bummed when they broke up. Liz and I were spending more time together ever since I'd gone to Claymore. I liked some of her friends more than others. My favorite friend of hers was hers were her boyfriend Greg and her friend Bethlyn, with whom she shared a birthday. I liked her friend Paula, who was one of the Smith kids, and she was loud and out of control, but fun. Paula, Liz, Natalie, and I made a lot of weird videos with my dad's old camera that I confiscated to practice filming for when I became a director someday, like I dreamed. There was also a shy girl named Krista who lived right across the street from us, and I liked her too. I even hung out with her on rare occasions. Her younger brother was a bit of a punk. I think he stole our knives once. He was Natalie's age. I believe he was possibly one of many kids from Natalie's grade who eventually got addicted to heroin and involved with the Nasty Angels, who were a lot more of a big deal by the time Natalie was in high school, but I could be wrong about him being part of all that. Many kids her age were involved in it, though. We had an epidemic on our hands with her class. When spring came at CCS, I started a class called Wigwag. It was a video and communication class taught by Rudy, an impressive woman who was once a famous PBS personality herself. She was one of the original romper room teachers. We had a blast making videos for all kinds of things, including advertisements for school jackets, which were black windbreakers that said CCS on them in purple. We made all kinds of funny ads for the jackets, pretending to be comedians doing stand-up. Stevie did Adam Sandler impersonations, stuck the microphone down her pants, and turned her lighter into a torch with a huge flame waving it in the air. She even threw a chair, pretending to be a monkey. It was all while Rudy was out of the room, but we recorded it, so Rudy saw it and wasn't too thrilled, yet she made me a copy of the video when I asked for one. Rudy was my teacher for another class that semester, too. Psychology. That class blew my fucking mind. I suppose that goes hand in hand with the subject. Our class was such a random group of kids. Other than Tabitha and I, none of us usually hung out much, but we had fascinating conversations. Rudy would bring us an idea, and we'd pull it apart and examine it from all angles. Ironically, none of us got full credit, since there was so much homework that hit on too many topics as that we never got to covering. But we loved it, and Rudy said it was her favorite class she ever taught. I could see why. We all told stories to go with each and every piece of information, and went down wormholes discussing ideas of the mind. My love for psychology fully formed from there, but I knew even before I took the class that I'd probably love it. I was grateful they offered it at CCS with one of their best teachers. We may not have had high-level math classes like trigonometry or even foreign language classes, but we had psychology, world religions, stained glass, and other unique classes the public schools didn't have. Plus, what CCS taught us, even before academics, was to respect and accept one another. The school in my hometown started teaching tolerance after Theo's death, but that was bullshit. Tolerance only teaches that it's okay to hate people behind their back, but to be civil in front of others. Acceptance is real. What we learned was real. 
similar to what we were learning in our academic classes. It was more than just straight white man war history. We were studying the Harlem Renaissance, we were studying the Harlem Renaissance and the poetry, jazz, and art of that time in English and art class. I was into abstract expressionism especially. We did a class project where we painted a large abstract expressionist painting inspired by Jackson Pollock. We all brought cassette tapes from home and took turns listening to the music provided by kids with extremely eclectic taste. We'd paint along to the different music, feeling it in our soul. I got a taste of hardcore punk, ska, gangster rap, R&B, techno, and other music styles I didn't know well. It was one of my favorite projects I ever did in school. The poetry we were reading was great, too. I loved Langston Hughes and was inspired to write more poetry of my own. I'm pretty sure I was babysitting the night of the free Green Day concert at the Hatch Shell that everyone else went to and still talk about to this day. There were riots. That kind of put an end to the free concerts WFNX put on in the nice weather every year. Honestly, if I'd liked Green Day at the time, I probably would have taken the night off from babysitting, but I was kind of a snob about them being pop punk and not real punk, like the punk I was just getting into from the 70s and 80s. The Clash, Ramones, Dead Kennedys, X-Ray Specs, Sex Pistols, Stranglers, Blondie, The Cure, Bad Brains, New York Dolls, Patti Smith, The Pixies, Concrete Blonde, Rancid, etc. Green Day was this supposedly punk band, but they blew up into superstars overnight. That didn't seem very punk at all. To this day, they aren't a top favorite, but I can also listen to a ton of their stuff and enjoy it. I certainly didn't expect their longevity, but they have proven themselves. As it turned out, it wasn't necessarily that Green Day wasn't punk. It was that alternative music went mainstream when it did, and Green Day just happened to be one of the first punk bands to blow up. I spent a lot of time with Marlene at school. I still had her for math, and I'd go up to her office to chat before class sometimes. She had a tiny office at the top of the stairs in the back building full of books and fun random things stacked everywhere. She recommended books to me, including Operating Instructions by Anne Lamott, who is now one of my favorite authors to this day. Marlene used to give me clues as to where to look for queer representation in the world. She knew about books like Ruby Fruit Jungle and Stone Butch Blues, and all kinds of queer creative people out in the world living successful lives. She belonged to an organization called GLSEN, which stood for Gay, Lesbian, Straight Educators Network. They had a big conference every year in the spring. It used to be just for the teachers, but they opened it up to students, and I was one of the first to go. It was an all-day conference held at the Boston Latin School, and there were groups led by gay and straight teachers who were all helping to educate us on topics that may have been left out of our regular education. That was how I found out that Michelangelo was gay and basically painted naked gay men all over the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I learned about the Stonewall Riots and Harvey Milk, and we watched a great documentary film called It's Elementary, which introduced the idea of talking about gay issues in public schools. I was fascinated by it all. One time I was, late, one time I was at school late, and I missed my cab. I ended up stranded, and my dad was away on a business trip because it was around the time he got his promotion to a job that had him traveling all over the world. 
He even had an office in New York City. Marlene offered to give me a ride home. She said she kept her horse in the town next to mine and needed to stop by there anyway, so I got in her car. Forgive me for not remembering what kind of car it was. I'm not really a car person. It was a classic from the late 60s or early to mid-70s probably and green with old-fashioned seatbelts. It was such a treat to get to ride in it and drive through the areas she knew well while she pointed out landmarks to me along the way. We stopped at a food co-op in Austin that was basically another world to me. I described it as a grocery store for hippies, punks, and lesbians. I still think that's a fairly accurate description of a food co-op. I had a great time that day with Marlene, and it all helped me open my mind up even more. We went to Pride again in June. Several teachers came, and Marlene's partner Marina met us there on her bicycle, which she rode on into Boston on. We were setting up for the march when my young gay therapist Paul from school came over to me and said, Hey, isn't that the kid who played Ricky on My So-Called Life? My So-Called Life was my favorite show that year. I watched every episode with my mom, but a lot of kids weren't allowed to watch it when it was originally aired because it was said to be inappropriate. It wasn't inappropriate, it was real, but it included a bisexual male Latino character named Ricky who wore eyeliner and hung out in the girls' bathroom. He was a hero to me and still is to this day. He was one of the first queer main characters on a major TV show, hence the controversy. Of course, the show was canceled after the first season, and most people hadn't even heard of it yet. It didn't blow up in pop culture for another year when MTV picked it up to play the reruns. So when we saw him there, he was alone, and no one knew who he was except me and my therapist. We invited him to march with CCS, and he did. He introduced himself as Wilson Cruz. We talked to him for a good hour or more as we marched through Boston. He talked about the show and his own experience being gay and coming out to his family. We told him about how open and accepting CCS was. He was blown away that we had a diversity club and had been marching in pride for years. It seemed to give him hope, and it was an awesome experience to get to hang out with one of my queer heroes, especially back then when I was big into acting and directing. It was 1995, the same year as the first ever Boston Youth Pride March, which CCS also attended, and took part in a competition asking us to bring our school spirit to Pride. Samantha from school was a cheerleader before CCS, and she wrote a catchy cheer for us to recite while the song Free Your Mind by En Vogue was playing. That introduction was followed by a last-minute improvised performance, which was my idea. Tabitha and I pretended to get married while one of the students acted as our marriage officiant, and we had an imaginary gay wedding right there on the statehouse steps, years before gay marriage was made legal, and honestly, I didn't think it ever would be. Being gay was still such a taboo thing at that point. I was told Tabitha and I had our photo published in a queer magazine or newspaper right after the event, which we won first prize for, but I never saw the article. The prize was a huge rainbow flag, which CCS hung right in front of the room proudly. Stickers with, this is a GLBT safe zone, were on most of the teachers' office doors with images of pink and black triangles. They were ahead of the times. I didn't do summer school that summer because my parents... I didn't do summer. 
I didn't do summer school that summer because my dad had a two-month sabbatical from work. So we went to Cape Cod for three weeks and did a bunch of other random trips and events. My parents let me invite Pesh to the Cape for one of the weeks we were there. They'd finally given up on me trying to keep They'd finally given up on trying to keep me from having male friends sleep over the way I did with female friends. I mean, if Pesh slept over, we had to sleep on couches in the living room rather than in my bedroom. But even though my parents didn't know I was gay yet, they accepted that some of my best friends were guys and that we weren't going to have sex just because we were sleeping under the same roof. So he slept over a few times during the school year, too. He graduated in June, screaming, take it, when he received his diploma, and that summer we drove down to Cape Cod together to stay with my parents. My with my parents, my aunts, my aunts, uncles, and cousins were all at the Cape that week too. Pesh wanted to take an airplane tour, which is something they offer down there. We paid for an hour ride in a four-person plane and got a tour of Cape Cod and the islands. We invited my cousin Kenny, who was only about three years old, to come with us. And the three of us went up with a pilot who let Pesh fly for a few minutes because he'd taken flying lessons years earlier when he was still when he thought he still might get to be a fighter pilot. It was scary to be on the plane in the hands of my friend, but he was perfectly fine that day, and we were all safe with the actual pilot there. Pesh paid for another trip in one of those red two-seat planes with no roof that does all kinds of scary tricks and flips in the sky. We watched him, amazed at his bravery, but I had no desire to do that. He spent time with me and my little cousins, and they loved him like they loved me. He'd basically become my new best friend. Agnes was still my best friend, too, though. We hung out that summer when she was home for a while, but her life was changing as well. She wanted to leave college and travel the world to do things differently than the typical Boston-area townies. At that point, I still thought I'd probably move to Vermont if I ever grew up, but that was the thing. I was still suicidal and didn't have plans for a future. Watching my friends plan for theirs was hard because I didn't have those desires. I, had a, I hardly had a spark left inside me to exist. I loved my time with friends, but most of them evolved without me, and I took it hard.